So if you haven't heard, the wait list to enroll for Luminesce 2023, the layer of becoming is officially open. If you're a creative woman aching to deepen and expand into your leadership while welcoming your own grief and longing to the experience, then join me and only 11 others to a delicious nine months of devotion to your art and your heart and soul and your emerging unique body of work. You're going to want to register for the waitlist right now because there are only 11 places available in this high-touch container and I'll be opening enrollment to waitlisters only from mid-January for a whopping $1,000 off the full price. So check out the link in the show notes or head to kateleeper.com slash luminesce, as in goddess, dash waitlist, dash 2023. And back to today's episode. So this week, I sat down and reflected on my own experience of 2022. And in the spirit of Sensual Alchemy School, I fleshed out the ways that grief and pleasure have profoundly shaped my identity, my desires, my newest challenges, and my path forward in ways that feel really different to previous years. And if there's one thing I can count on in this work, it's that the more I'm willing to engage with my losses with an open heart and make space to explore and redefine how this body, my body, craves and is sourced by pleasure outside of the patriarchal narrative, the more I'm able to trust in the unfolding of my life and experience bucket loads of joy while I'm at it. Today, I'm going to share some of the unexpected ways that grief and pleasure has reshaped me personally this year in the hopes that maybe there's something here for you too. Welcome to the Sensual Alchemy School podcast, where we explore grief, pleasure, and the sometimes messy, always beautiful paradox that exists between the two. Here, as we center the experience of our wise bodies, through the archetypal feminine, we ask. Within a culture that perceives emotional, intuitive and creative intelligence as inferior and avoids pain at all costs, what if grief were our compass and pleasure our medicine? My name is Kate Leeper and I'm so grateful you're here. Hello, friends. It's so good to have you here. I'm Kate Leeper, feminine embodiment coach and therapist. I've got to say, 2022 did a right number on me. (laughs) And just when you think a year of delightfully gallivanting through life must surely be on the cards, apparently it is not. No, apparently life is just hard now. Like, is that just me realizing because I'm almost 40 that life is just kind of always like this from here on in? You know, I wonder that. I think we're all wearing this COVID lens now where we see things as more tenuous, less predictable. And so this could really impact our expectations of things as well. Generally, I feel like our baseline nervous systems have really shifted. We're likely more vigilant, more susceptible to anxiety if we weren't already. 
or more prone to numbing out and just detaching from any possibility of being let down or having our desires crushed. And it seems to me that to welcome life in all its contradictions and beauty and possibilities, it takes some work or a reframe on quote unquote work, as I like to call it, it takes devotion. And this has nothing to do with religion, people. I'm talking about practicing living in devotion to the world we want to live in. Loving on our bodies with devotion, even when they feel like they're broken. Moving through our days in devotion to what we can detect through our glorious senses, where we can access moments of feeling okay, good, even pleasurable, and still retaining this embodied devotion when grief and fear and pain arise. So I guess that's the point of me sharing some personal private reflections today about how grief and pleasure have really reshaped me this year in ways that have ultimately been born of devotion to the absolute shit show that much of 2022 has been. And I love because really when I look back, this year has brought some very beautiful experiences. They've felt tangled up in hard stuff, but they've been there. And I think it's these reflective processes that are essential for us to be able to disentangle our pain from pleasure and see the spectrum and where they intersect more clearly. Now, these lessons and experiences that have reshaped me, they all melt into each other. Inevitably, the ways in which our lives become reshaped is never by one thing alone. But there's definitely some clear themes that have emerged for me. Right, so let's get into it. Now, the first theme, above everything else, has been this really interesting new relationship that I've been, shall we say, negotiating with my body. And look, this is a work in progress that... I, yeah, I don't think it'll ever end. And I know that there's no final destination when it comes to the relationships we have to our body, except for when we're dead, of course. And even then, who knows? But while we're alive, this vessel that I'm in at least just keeps throwing curveballs one after the other. And of course, I know I'm not alone in this. Every single one of us will have our own journey with our body. But this year, the catalysts behind this grand reshaping of my relationship to my body has been served by three main things. The first thing, age. Like, wow, this year has been the first year of my life where I can see and feel within myself vividly that I'm no longer a spring chicken. And I can also see really powerfully the impacts of prolonged chronic grief and sleep deprivation and just how life has had its way with my body. Now, the second catalyst has been my own health. And if you've been listening to this pod since the beginning, I've shared that my own health challenges have mostly all centered around my lady parts. Most recently, adenocarcinoma in situ found in my glorious cervix. So really that just means um, high-grade 
precancerous cells in a part of the cervix that is a little harder to get to and there's a little less known about it. So, yeah. And I remain so curious about how my health challenges might be somehow linked to how my body has been in relationship with grief, not just over the past six years since my pregnancy loss and the death of my sister, but really from an accumulation of repeated sexual boundary ruptures and violence from my late teens through to my early 30s. And so now as I move into midlife, And all these fun little challenges have been raising their head and demanding that I pay attention. There's this really curious part of me that has been exploring those connections. And finally, on a delicious note, the third catalyst for this new emerging relationship with my body has been a huge expansion in my own capacity for pleasure. You know, I've been devoted to redefining and cultivating some strong pleasure practices for many, many years now. And this year, my friends, has delivered the goods, I've got to say. And I think it's also been that this year, my signature high-touch program for creative feminine leaders, Luminous, this year it was themed the Embodied Pleasure Pilgrimage, which was definitely a game changer because holding space for a year-long journey has asked me to really be accountable, you know, to practice what I preach. And so in times where life was upside down and messy and complicated this year, coming together with a bunch of rad embodied creative women and guiding them in pleasure resourcing practices and somatic awareness and crafting their own work in the world through this lens was the best medicine ever for me too. So what did I learn about my body this year and how has this impacted on my relationship to it? Well, primarily I've been confronting a ton of regret actually about how much I dishonored my body in my younger years and how I'm now having to face the consequences of that. And this regret is laced with so much grief because I can't go back and choose another path. This was the one I chose. But I really value the view of the brilliant Stephen Jenkinson when he speaks to regret. And I don't have his exact words here because I think these, uh, what I'm sharing, I heard him speak about in conversation with Kimberly Ann Johnson on her podcast, I think, or Yeah, one of the beautiful offerings that she had with Stephen Jenkinson. But basically, he refutes the idea that living with regret is a bad thing and that it indicates somehow that we've failed at life. He says that regret is really, really important, super necessary, actually, as we navigate our lives because Ultimately, regret is a messenger and it allows us to actually act upon our choices in different ways. And sure, it feels fucking terrible to regret, but that's the important information. It's incredible that so many humans feel 
the terribleness of regret and still don't do anything to change the course or the trajectory of life. And it's a lot to wrestle with, you know, because it is an abandonment of self and it can be hard to hear about, you know. I don't blame you if you want to put your fingers in your ears right now and shut me out. So that's been a huge reshaping for me this year, really opening to the sense, the qualities, the texture of regret that I've held on to when it came to ignoring my body's cues, acting out of fear and a need to control instead of love, and totally cutting myself off from pleasure for so many years of my life. And the key has been to not just jump straight into self-compassion either. This might feel contentious to you, but I think sometimes allowing ourselves to truly engage with regret and welcome the discomfort before immediately dousing ourselves in bucket loads of self-compassion for our mistakes is actually an important step in creating meaningful change. And this is not to say that self-compassion isn't an integral part of healing and opening to life. But I think regret has medicine for us that needs to be acknowledged first before rushing into the part that makes us feel better. So the questions that I've been, I guess, using to guide the reshaping of trust and self-honoring of my body this year has really been... How will I let the grief of my many regrets show me the way now? And how can I show my body that I will no longer abandon it for any reason at all? These questions have been pretty remarkable in helping me to clarify what I am and what I'm not available for anymore. And what actually feels right and true for me and my body as I age and as I tend to relationships with loved ones and my work commitments and creative projects. Regret is truly a potent force if we can let it in. But I don't advise you to do it alone. I highly recommend being held and guided through these processes because grief work, which you know, regret is inherently part of grief work. It requires connection and safety. So the next way that grief and pleasure have shaped me this year has been in helping me to get super clear on my non-negotiables as far as what it means to take care of myself, to feel fully supported and to give airtime to my desires. And back in April, when my pre-cancer was found, I made a vow that from that point on, cervix was my queen. I would not let my body be touched or penetrated if cervix said no. If cervix was turned on about a creative endeavor or an exciting opportunity, then it was a yes from me. Cervix has literally been my guide ever since that moment. And I've got to say, it's changed me. The entire experience has really forced me to choose myself and be very clear on what it means to love myself. I think I've been pretty fierce, 
you know, for a long time at, at claiming the time and space for what gives me joy. But I tell you what, with, with three young kids and a shit ton of challenges this year, it's felt really, really hard to prioritize things as simple as a morning walk, a regular dance class, or even a coffee catch up with a friend. You know, it's like, I'm really good at locking in the big holidays and the special occasions, but the regular supportive routines and practices, I haven't done so well with because I can easily fall into overwork, overworking and then kind of falling into a heap after that. And so I've got to like recuperate. And I know I'm in a season of my life where I have young children. And so I do... I I need to put that in perspective and really remember that before heaping, you know, a pile of guilt. Uh, and I just find it fascinating to really notice where I'm super good at claiming time and space and where I'm really not. <laughs> so in recent months, anyway, I've come back to developing much more consistent practices and I've been making them non-negotiable. And now that my toddler is sleeping really well, um, it's really about listening to my body and sleeping when I need to, or when I feel like this impulse, getting up to walk down to the beach, you know, for sunrise before the family to swim and to sit at the place where my sister's ashes were scattered to be close to her. It's been coming together as well with different groups of women who make my heart sing as regularly as I can to remember myself outside of my role as mother and wife. And so they're kind of two things that I've really, really been um, prioritizing. And these non-negotiables, I don't I don't see them as self-care. They are exponentially more than that. Grief and pleasure continue to set the bar for me around what I actually need to experience what I call life in full color. And my friends will often tease me in a really loving way, calling me a yes woman, because every time something fun or adventurous arises, 99% of the time I'm in, <laughs> you know, they just know, oh yeah, okay to be in. I want to... You know, and I do want to be explicit here in stating that I'm privileged to be able to say yes much of the time. And saying yes to things isn't always accessible for people for many reasons. But generally, I am someone who acts on the embodied yes. And then I will find a way to follow through, whether that means find the money or the childcare or the logistical plan forward. I trust that there is a way and I will make it somehow. And I think that's really important because it's kind of like a, a muscle to cultivate as well. I think that's also been something that has been implanted in me since Sarah died. Sarah was a major yes woman and she squeezed so much joy and adventure into her 30 years because of it. So I guess by choosing to live fully alive in full color, I'm honoring her as a person and I'm allowing the grief that is ever present in me at having lost her so young to lead me to the pleasure that reminds me that I'm here walking the earth. I get to be here even when she can't. So I bloody better make the most of it. 
And this year I've been incredibly shaped by that realization. Thanks to my sister, Sarah, and to my cervix. (laughs) So to tie this all together, I think one of the biggest reshapings I've experienced this year is to go all in with the creative work I'm here to do. And this has transformed the way I see my life and my responsibility as a human being with the opportunity to interact with people, with life, with the environment in meaningful ways. I made a decision this year to engage with my life as if it were art, to reframe this existence as a moving, evolving art piece that I have the limited custodianship of and very little control over. And this might sound like a romantic, fanciful, woo kind of a notion. And I guess in some ways it is romantic and a bit woo, yet... Funnily enough, as I invite more artistry to my everyday experiences, it brings me out of avoidant fantasy-like coping mechanisms and into my body in really grounded ways. Opening to the idea of life as art feels like a very embodied way to greet this human experience to loosen the grip of existential uncertainty and angst that can feel like it's suffocating me sometimes. When I can meet each day with the question, what art can I make with whatever happens today? I set myself up for endless possibilities. And I also recenter into a place of personal power, which is very different to attempting to control outcomes. I think that we can get in the headspace of perceiving life as one giant obstacle to survive, but when we can learn to live plugged into subtle beauty and prioritise vulnerable connection with others and our environment, we can dance with the ebb and flow of life in ways that source and sustain us. So what does life as art look like in practical terms? Well, firstly, it involves a choice to look through this lens, to understand that art doesn't just happen because you pick up a paintbrush or put on your stage makeup. We have to choose to put energy into being as much as we put energy into doing. In November, I held a beautiful, gentle experience called Reverence in Motion. And it was simply 30 days of inviting a group of willing women into embodied reverence through ritual and expression. And the women who came on board were making a choice to centre their beingness for the month. So where most invitations did involve some aspect of doing, essentially the devotion was to honour whatever grief was present and to become available to whatever pleasure could be found, could be detected and amplified in their body as well. And this is what I mean when I talk about being overdoing. I'm not here preaching that you must develop a strict meditation practice every day and to learn to be comfortable in quiet and stillness. And if that's your thing, that is wonderful. But that's not the work here at Sensual Alchemy School. The beingness that I'm interested in tending to are the seeds of aliveness that reside in the body's felt experience. The aliveness that our grief ignites and our pleasure amplifies within us. 
Aliveness, in my opinion, is the artistry of our soul. When we choose not to run from our sorrow or reject the fullness of our pleasure body, we naturally begin to experience life as art. What I've realized is that our lack of culture and ritual and ceremony in the Western world leads to devastating tears in the fabric of our society, particularly when it comes to how we deal with and integrate loss and how we celebrate life. In general, the ways in which we send off our dead and welcome new life and love can be really dismal, soulless gestures of acknowledgement. And what happens when there is not enough depth and intimacy when marking these rites of passage, or any at all, is that we absorb this lack of meaningful ritual as loss in our systems. This can manifest as feeling empty or isolated as we embark on new chapters. Mums and dads feel lost and confused in their new roles. Loved ones of those who have died or people have This can manifest as feeling empty or isolated as we embark on new chapters. Mothers and fathers can feel lost and confused in their new roles. Loved ones of those who have died have nothing in which to anchor their grief. This also applies to people who have ended long-term marriages or relationships and, you know, in finding themselves untethered as they work to figure out who they are now outside of that partnership as well as those embarking on retirement or changing careers. And look, even weddings in the West can be these extravagant affairs without any real vulnerability, soul, or even personality in some cases. I'm going to tease this apart much, much more in a future episode. But today I just wanted to share and touch on how this year more than ever, it's become so clear the ways that ritual is a significant channel for me to remember and experience my life as art. Actively inviting more beauty, reverence and ceremony to my everyday has been pivotal in this continual reshaping of who I am as a mother, lover, creative and business owner this year. And this way of living is now another one of my non-negotiables and in coming full circle has contributed greatly to both a ripening and also a more playful and curious relationship with my body as I move through the final year of my 30s. You know, this year was hard. I can't recall an easy year actually for about a decade (laughs) in my life, but I know many people who really did suffer this year in really sudden and surprising ways. It seemed to be a year where rugs were just pulled out from beneath so many people and with perhaps already fragile foundations, this felt even more disorienting to recover from. But I think we need to remember that there are many, many ways to meet our grief. There are many ways beyond the frame of what we've seen and known from our family and society. And I am utterly devoted to being a lighthouse for this cause because grief work is the gateway to pleasure, 
resilience and expansion. So I invite you to consider all the ways that grief and pleasure have reshaped you this year. And if some of what I've spoken about today feels maybe a little new or different or a touch woo for you, just simply welcome some curiosity around what wisdom your heartache in 2022 has had to offer you. You know, this is a really beneficial way to begin a reflection process, particularly as the year comes to a close. And also don't forget to stay curious about what tugs at your desires. What do you want to explore more in 2023 for you personally so you can move closer to expressing your full humanness and your infinite creative potential? Well, my loves, that brings us to the close of today's episode and to the final episode of the pod for 2022. I want to thank you so much again for showing up and being part of these conversations around grief, pleasure, and creative feminine leadership. You are the reason that I continue to share and muse from this vulnerable place and trust that my work in the world is being received in the fullness that it's been created. And if you haven't yet rated and reviewed the Sensual Alchemy School podcast, please go and take one minute. That's all, all it will take to do just that because it really does make a difference to spreading this important message far and wide. So I thank you in advance for your kindness. And another reminder, finally, that the Luminous Lair of Becoming, the 2023 version, is open and filling up and we're going to have the most electric group of creative women in this space. I've got to say, I cannot wait, but there are only 11 places. And if you're on that wait list, when I open enrollment mid-Jan, you get a super special discount of $1,000 off the full cost. So go on, you know, you want to. <laughs> Alrighty, babes, I will be back in January, raring to go. I'm wishing you such a restful and joyful festive break. Thank you for joining me today on the Sensual Alchemy School podcast. If you found this episode supportive or something landed for you here, please share it with your friends, family, and anyone who you feel might benefit. If you're loving this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to ensure that we can keep bringing you the conversations you need. And if you want to connect, please find me at kateleeper.com or over on Instagram at kate.leeper. I'd love to hear from you.